0: Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Our program is about bees, and to get an insight into these fascinating creatures, I met up with Tara Chapman, who is the owner and chief beekeeper of Two Hives Honey in Austin, Texas. I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Uh, And we're going to be talking about bees and what they can do for us humans that contributes to a sustainable earth, uh, but also about what we can do for them. Um, So I was wondering if you could start off by introducing yourself, giving us a little background on yourself. Thanks so
1: much for having me. This is fun. Uh, This is my very first podcast, so I hope I do okay. Um, So a little bit about me. I am from rural West Texas originally, a tiny town called Smyre about 400 people or so Um, and I left for the east coast I went to college it was a first generation college attendee and graduate I guess and and afterwards I moved to DC I was recruited to work in intelligence for the federal government so a bit of an interesting experience I spent the next 10 years working in and out of Pakistan and Afghanistan and DC Um, I knew I always wanted to come back to Texas and Didn't really know how I would make that happen, so I can be very persuasive when I want to be. And I convinced the last agency that I was with to let me work part-time from Texas. So my schedule was like this. I was in Austin three weeks out of the month, and then I would go to D.C. for a month. And then every two months, I would go to Afghanistan for a few weeks to a few months. So I had this sort of triple life, uh, very different wardrobes for all three of those places. Um, And uh, on one of my trips back to Austin, I was clearly looking to escape sort of, you know, the life I had been living for a long time. And I was doing anything and everything that I felt was very Austin-y. And I found a class on Groupon And I always tell folks, you know, I saw it and I thought it was weird uh, in kind of a cool way. And I was single at the time, still single. And I thought, you know, every single girl needs a good story for a date. I thought it would make me interesting. So I took this beekeeping class with a friend, my friend Gina, and um, loved it. And started a hive with another friend a few you know the next spring and within six months decided that this was what I was going to do so I quit that job with those benefits and all that security and thankfully I knew that a beekeeper a hobbyist of six months does not a professional beekeeper make I actually knew way less than I thought that I did in hindsight and I convinced a beekeeper um, in East Texas to let me come and work the queen rearing season. So I got my chops working full time out in East Texas for the next spring season.
0: So uh, now you talked about starting a hive. Um, that I don't understand what that means. Tell me what that okay. means. <laughs> okay, great.
1: So we have, you know, what we in the business will refer to as feral bees or wild bees, right? You've got hives all over, we probably walk by within 100 feet of a hive every day and have no idea. So they can be in logs, in trees, in old airstreams, they love airstreams here in Austin. Um, But if you wanted to become what we call a beekeeper, you can actually have what we refer to as a managed hive. They are really no different from these feral hives. We just are able to manipulate them in a way so that we put them into wooden boxes so the wooden boxes become their home as opposed to a log um, or a tree, right? So you can put that in your backyard or on your property. Um, Now, let me make clear that the honeybees don't need us by any stretch. They've lived 130 million years and been completely fine. However, there are interventions that we can employ to allow the hive to live longer and healthier. Um, Of course, there are things that we could do that can do damage as well. But if you're responsible and you do things the right way, then we can perform interventions that allow them to live longer and healthier, um, the colony itself. And then, of course, also we can, uh, like any farming endeavor, we can, if done responsibly, we can um, harvest some honey uh, for our own use as well. Right. Does that make a little bit more sense?
0: Yeah. And and I mean, how did you, um, what, what were the uh, sort of pitfalls as you got into this? What? Tell us about some of your early beekeeping oh adventures.
1: So I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, it's actually quite amazing how little I knew when I put 60,000 stinging insects. not in my backyard, but in my neighbor's backyard. Uh, he's a very trusting, gentle, kind man to let me do that. Um, well, first of all, I was terrified of my bees for the first year. So if you watch me work now, I mean, I caught a swarm yesterday in basically what I'm wearing now.
0: Um, so no protection. No veil, no mm.
1: no gloves. Uh, swarms are very docile, but even when I'm out working hives, I you always cover my face. I always joke, cover the moneymaker, um, but I rarely wear gloves. Uh, <clears throat> that's fine now, but my first entire year, if you look back at pictures, uh, which wasn't that long ago, I'm in complete suit from head to toe, and every time one of them would crawl on me, I would kind of freak out. Uh, so I was completely terrified. Um for the whole first year looking back, um, I realized that I did not know how to, I did not know what my queen looked like. I couldn't find her if you paid me money, which now I'm very good at queen spotting. It is finding a literal needle in a haystack. Um, yeah, I didn't know. It's amazing that that hive survived its first year given, I would go out and check it every week, which is something that now I realize you don't, want to do because every time you get into a hive you're interfering with these processes. Those poor bees, like I just they were really mismanaged, <laughs> overmanaged, I'll say. Right. Uh right. but they made it through.
0: <laughs> All right. Um so uh bees of course are one of the most important pollinators of plants and crops. Um talk about exactly what a pollinator does and why it's important to us.
1: Sure. So um Pollination in of itself, of course, is just transferring pollen from the male parts of a plant to the stigma to the female parts of a plant. So every species, their ultimate goal is propagation, right, to ensure passing on the genetics and survival of the species. So for the plants, that's what they're trying to do. Uh, The benefit to humans, of course, is that process, therefore, allows the plant to produce the fruit or the vegetable, therefore, containing um, the seed. So that's what actual uh, pollination is. Now, of course there are, <clears throat> uh, Lots of different kinds of pollinators. Honey bees are one, native bees are another kind. You know, there's all sorts of kinds of solitary bees. And different bee species and types have different body shapes and types that make them better at pollinating some plants over others. And then, of course, there's some plants that can self pollinate, and then there's others that are pollinated by the wind. So, most of our monocultural crops, you know, corn, wheat, soy, for example, are pollinated by the wind. Um, But it's really interesting if you look at the historical record of plants, they have evolved alongside these pollinators because wind pollination, of course, works, but it's very inefficient. What if you don't have a windy day, right? Um, But we've seen, we can go back and we look at how plants have evolved over time um, alongside, alongside pollinators. So, for example... If you've ever noticed, lots of flowers have stripes going inside the plant along the, the petals of the flower. That's basically like a landing strip, like giant arrows, like come here. Because if you think about it, they're competing against one another to attract pollinators, right? So they produce nectar purely to attract pollinators. Um, and uh, <clears throat> colors the colors of the flowers are also attractive to certain pollinators. So it's really interesting to look and see how they've evolved alongside one another. To have right. a mutual benefit,
0: right You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Tara Chapman, owner and chief beekeeper of Two Hives Honey in Austin. Uh, and we, you were just uh, talking about pollination of, by bees, and you mentioned uh, several different types or species of bees. Can you uh, give us a little more about that, what kinds what species there are, and where would we, we would maybe find them or see them? Sure. So honeybees are the ones that get the most
1: attention. Um, <clears throat> I think it's because, well, one, they're the only bees we can pack on the backs of trucks and we can move around to pollinate monoculture crop, crops, right? Um, <clears throat> and of course, they are the only ones that really produce enough honey that we can harvest. And as a you know, very self-serving species, we love our honey. Um, but they're actually not native to North America. They're native to Europe, Asia, and Africa, And they were brought here in the 1600s by colonial settlers. So Native Americans called them the white man's fly, which is my favorite. Uh, But there are all sorts of bees that are native to North America and to Texas. and most of them were solitary bees. So the one exception is the bumblebee, um, which actually, before war, war, World War One, excuse me, were known as humble bees. Um, so the humble slash bumblebees are the one species that are native to Texas that are not solitary. They actually do live in colonies, but very small, like 200 to 300 bees. All of the other species that are native are solitary, which means they live alone, of course. Um, those can be. There's lots of them, um, but a few examples are mason bees, uh, carpenter bees, leafcutter bees, sweat bees, squash bees. There's all sorts of them, and there's lots of spe- subspecies within those different those different kinds. Um, and they uh, they're arguably better for pollinating most of our native plants than honeybees. Again, because bees have evolved alongside the plants that they are near over time. So tomatoes, for example, have to be pollinated by native bees. Um, blue bonnets is another example I like to use. Uh, blue bonnets do have nectar, but honeybees cannot access the nectar because their tongues aren't long enough, whereas bumblebees have very long tongues, and they can access the nectar in, uh, in blue bonnets. Now, there are pollen, there's pollen in blue bonnets that, that, that honeybees can't access.
0: So all these uh, native bees or bumblebees or any of these, um, are they all also able to sting us? <laughs> they can. They can all sting.
1: Now, um, I've never actually been stung by any of the native bees. Bumblebees, yes, but um, I've never heard of anyone being stung by a native bee or a leafcutter bee uh, because they don't live in big colonies. They don't have the defense uh, mechanisms as strong because they don't have oh, as much to protect, right? Whereas a colony of honeybees will be thousands of bees and they have a queen to protect and honey and young um and their wax comb and so uh, th- there's a lot more on the line for them whereas the native bees uh, don't have as much to protect it's just like um, honeybees are very unlikely to sting away from their home for the same reason because they're not near home where they need to protect um, I'm sure every a lot of your listeners have will say, "Well, I was stung once working my garden." Well, you probably put your hand right in their way. Perhaps I'm not sure, um, but uh, generally, if we don't mess with them, all bees are, are generally pretty docile and not aggressive.
0: If we just leave them alone and give yeah. them a little space, exactly, sh- they should you be see fine. Them, and we just should just
1: work fine. really carefully. If you grab them, um, th- you will get stung, um, which may happen. But yeah, if you just work carefully and work around them, they are far more concerned with gathering food. That's their job. Um, honeybees are, and all bees are, they're very hard workers. And so they're just, they're seeking food to bring back to their young.
0: I'm Salwa Khan. You're listening to Mothering Earth. Uh, we've been talking with Tara Chapman, owner and chief beekeeper of Two Hives Honey in Austin, and we are about to take a break. This is Salwa Khan with Mothering Earth. I'm here with Tara Chapman, owner and chief beekeeper of Two Hives Honey in Austin, Texas. And we've been talking about making honey. Um, And I understand that uh, depending on where the hive is located, the honey will taste different, differently. Yeah, that that. was,
1: that was something that I didn't know until I started, until I got a little bit down the path of my own beekeeping journey, which is what inspired the company actually. So I was really fascinated that the honey from the exact same hive was a completely different color, texture, and flavor from the spring than it was in the fall. I mean, I'm talking stark difference, very, very light yellow um, compared to a dark, almost molasses color. And so what I realized that depending upon what flowers the bees are visiting, that nectar will produce a very different honey. So that's how we get things like lavender honey, if you've seen lavender honey, or clover honey. What that means is the beekeeper is legally allowed to label that as what we call a single varietal, right? So lavender honey, for example, if more than 50% of the nectar came from lavender flowers um, but of course there's an infinite number of combinations in the middle as well. So a lot of our bees for example, well most of our bees are in the city of Austin so they're what I call urban bees. so they're getting a lot of diversity in terms of what nectar they're bringing in. So we aren't able to produce you know uh, single varietals. Um, But we do see stark differences between not only seasons, but also between neighborhoods as well. Um, Bees up in the North Loop neighborhood, for example, will be producing often a very different honey than the bees in the Zilker neighborhood in the same week.
0: What are the what are some of the properties of honey beyond being used as a sweetener uses? So can you talk about some of those?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, if you look at Egyptian, like ancient Egyptian times, um, they used honey for a lot of things. So for medicine, and I'll come back to that because honey is, is certainly medicinal. I use it as medicine. Um, they also used it as money. It was a currency. It was very valuable. Um, and they even used it in magic. So for example, if um, uh, someone was having a disagreement, they would take the beeswax from a hive and build a sort of effigy and burn it. And if they burned it, harm was supposed to come to that person. Um, but if you look towards, you know, uh, modern times today, honey can still be used for uh, medicinal properties, uh, in a lot of ways. So honey is antimicrobial. So if you put it on a wound or burn, it has a reaction similar to hydrogen peroxide. And it's actually been found in studies to be better than over the counter, um, burn creams for, for burns. Um, It's also antibacterial. Um, It's been found in studies to uh, relieve symptoms um, in infants of diarrhea when they suffer from salmonella or the E. coli virus. Um, It's anti-inflammatory. You can use it for sore throats. It's been found to um, work better than over-the-counter cough suppressants um, as a cough suppressant. So there's lots of different uses Uh, for honey Um, and uh, it's important for me to point out here that raw honey is really important here if you go to the grocery store and you buy honey um, if it's uh, if it's one of the big larger major brands it may not be real honey it may have been it's likely heated which means all those healing properties have been heated out it's been pasteurized Um, or perhaps cut with high fructose corn syrup so it's really important that if you're going to use honey as medicine that you're using raw real honey so um buying from your local beekeeper is the best way to ensure we have great beekeepers across the state of texas
0: so when you say raw honey Mm -hmm. that's just honey that comes directly from the hive yes and
1: has not been heated to so um a, large, a lot of the larger commercial beekeepers will heat their honeys, the big producers will heat their honeys. Um, it, we generally like to keep honey below about, you'll hear anywhere from 98 to 115 degrees is where it starts to lose its medicinal properties. Um, I don't know if we actually know, however, a hive is kept at about 98 degrees. So if we know we keep it below that, we're in the safe zone, right? So um, beekeepers will heat it gently, oftentimes to get it to flow. Very cold honey flows very slowly, um, but as long as you keep it below that, you know, hundred degree mark, um, it will hold on
0: to its medicinal properties. So, when I buy mm-hmm. some raw honey, how do I store it? Oh, I- that's
1: such a good question. So. Not in the fridge. You you certainly can store it in the fridge or the freezer. If you do, just expect that it's going to crystallize very quickly. So crystallization, if you're unfamiliar with that, is when the honey turns to a solid form. It has not gone bad. Please don't throw it out. That actually means you've gotten real raw honey. So unless you want it to crystallize, um, just keep it on your counter. Um, If you want it to stay in its liquid form longer, you can put it in a sunny window. Um, That's the best way to recrystallize it. Let's say it did crystallize and you wanted it in liquid form. Um, I tell people do not put it in the microwave because, again, you can't control um, the heat Tem- the temperature at that point um you can put it in a warm pot of water not boiling it you can heat water to above 100 degrees very easily right and so again like putting it outside on a sunny day make sure it's closed up very tight because if it's not the bees in the neighborhood will figure it out very quickly and you're apt to have 400 honeybees on your front porch in a matter of minutes <laughs> they're very smart they can smell that stuff from a good distance
0: wow. okay um and then, in addition to honey, bees also make wax mm-hmm. for their to make their hives. So, and and humans have found uses for that wax yeah. as well. Tell us yeah, about so that. Yeah, so
1: beeswax is really interesting. Um, they actually have um, six little glands on the uh, underside of their abdomen that produce the beeswax. Um, worker bees that are between the days of 12 and 18 days old, or we find that's generally when the bees produce wax. That's the age of the bees that produce the wax. Um, And so they of course produce the wax and build little hexagon cells to store their honey. And that's where the queen will lay her eggs. Um, But we can harvest that. Um, What we sell at Two Hives is we actually prefer to sell comb honey. So we're going to cut the whole frame out and leave the honey in the wax comb. And that's what we sell. But we also do um, render damage a lot of our wax and you can make um, lotion bars, lip balms, furniture polish. There's all sorts of great products that you can make with, with beeswax. We're actually going to be offering those for the first time this year.
0: All right. And, and candles I've seen. uh, Candles, of course, I left
1: out the most obvious one. Yeah. So wax candles. Um, So beeswax candles burn much cleaner than some of the other uh, candles that you can buy. They're, more expensive, of course, but um, yes, wax candles are fantastic.
0: You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Tara Chapman, owner and chief beekeeper of Two Hives Honey in Austin, Texas. And we were talking about all the different things that we get from bees, uh, in addition to there being great pollinators. So uh, one of them is royal jelly. It <laughs> sounds really fancy. What is it?
1: does, is, doesn't it?
0: Okay, so royal jelly is a glandular
1: secretion that is produced from the heads of some worker bees that are known as nurse bees Um, and what royal jelly is produced for is to feed the larvae right The, the babies if you may in a hive so all larvae are fed royal jelly for about three days and then they're switched off of that diet onto nectar and honey but uh the royal jelly is exclusively, queens exclusively eat royal jelly. So the queen bees, there's generally just one per hive. She's very important. She's the only one that lays eggs. Her diet is solely comprised of royal jelly. So it's really critical in a hive because without a queen, of course, the hive would perish very quickly. Um, and so some beekeepers do, um, Uh, extract that from a hive and sell that and raw jelly it's funny if you you look on the internet I mean I I think it'll cure everything between hair and cancer Um, I haven't looked in great depth at any of the actual studies um, but I know people will claim that it'll do everything from um, heal wounds to can be treated, um, can treat menstrual cramps encourage hair growth Um, it's supposed to improve collagen levels so of course you can use it, it's found a lot of times in beauty creams and anti-aging gene treatment. Exactly, yeah. I think that's probably yeah. one of the most common uses. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I don't know why at this point uh, it made me think of uh, how. what is the lifespan of a bee?
1: Oh, it's a great question. And does
0: it change according to what type of bee? It does. If it's a worker bee mm-hmm. or it's the queen. Or...
1: And it also changes based on the season. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so queens will live a few years. You'll hear three to five. If I've got a queen that's three years old and she's laying healthily, I'm pretty impressed. Mm. Um, uh, worker bees, which are all females, uh, they make up ninety to a ninety-nine percent of a hive at any given point. They're going to live about six weeks in the spring. In the summer, now, in the winter, they're going to live a lot longer. Um, they have so many flight miles on their wings, so they're not flying as much in the cooler months, and so
0: they live a lot longer. Um, drones, which are the males, live about two months. And and then with uh, bee stings, mm-hmm. they're injecting a venom. Mm-hmm. And I understand that there are, we've even found some uses maybe for the venom. Yeah. Is that right?
1: So, ironically enough, B venom is found to be an anti inflammatory. I mean, tell that to me yesterday when I got stung in the face. I was, wasn't an anti inflammatory then. Um, but it's used to treat rheumatoid arthritis, um, tendonitis, um, nerve pain, um, multiple sclerosis. There's been all these ways that folks have found. So, um, you can get a venom shot. And there's also folks that uh, do their uh, apitherapy is what it's called. And they do their apitherapy at home. And so they can actually buy a little box of worker bees from a beekeeper. They usually send them 12. And then they, you know, I don't know how, maybe maybe they put them in a bag and they put their hand in and rustle them. I'm not exactly sure. But they, you could grab them, I guess, and force them to sting you. Um, but I have heard from folks, anecdotally at least, um, there was one gal that would say the difference between being stung and not being stung was the diff- whether she could hold a pen and she could write
0: that day. Um, so it was made a huge difference in her life. So as a gardener, what can I do to mm-hmm. attract bees to my garden?
1: Yeah, so um, a few things you can do. Um, I think we'll start with one that I think a lot of folks don't think about is providing a water source. Um, because bees in the spring, when it's not super hot and there's a lot of nectar, they're going to get most of their water needs from nectar. Um, but particularly in the summer, and it's very hot here in Texas (laughs) in the summer, uh, they need water just like any other organism, both, um, to hydrate themselves and they use it as an evaporative cooling agent. So they'll store it in the comb and flap their wings and use that to cool the hive. Another thing that you can do is of course, planting Uh, Plants that are going to produce nectar or pollen. But in general, herbs are phenomenal. They're easy. Get the ones that are really hardy, right? Rosemary, I don't even think I'm an awful gardener, but a phenomenal beekeeper. Even I can't kill rosemary or sage. Um, So those are great, but you got to let them go to seed don't cut the blooms off. Right. Um, doesn't do them any good. And also looking for things that bloom in clumps. So right again, like herb bushes are great because honeybees in particular exhibit a trait called forage consistency. Um, and so they're going to consume all of the nectar from one type of bloom before moving on to another. They're very efficient that way. Do you ever find it stressful working with bees? Uh, I actually find working with bees very, it's almost like my form of meditation. I don't do yoga or meditate, though I should, and I try and I'm not, I just can't seem to get there. Um, But I do find it's very meditative, and I just really enjoy. They're just incredibly fascinating, and watching them work is inspiring to me.
0: Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth.